Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Kristen Gulat, SVP of Strategic Resources at NFP and Partners, and I am so excited because today I am joined by Army Robinson. Um, Army is the SVP of Government Affairs at ALU Gamma, which he says means that he leads the advocacy team um, for, on behalf of our industry in Washington. So Army's the guy who has his finger on the pulse, and he's going to tell us what happened. And what's going to happen? I asked him to bring his crystal ball, so he's going to give us all of the prediction um, in terms of tax policy and what we're going to see, who's going to win the election, what they're going to do, and what tax law is going to look like for the next 20 years. So are you ready, Army? Absolutely. It's more of a magic eight ball than a crystal ball, but I'm really <laughs> flattered to be here and always excited to, to talk with you today. Great. Thank you. So let's just jump right in um, and Let's start with the um, tax proposals that former Vice President Biden has put out. He's the newer one to the role, so um, his some of his tax proposals are pretty interesting. So can you give us some sort of highlights from what you've been seeing? Sure. There's there's a lot to dig through, as, as you might imagine, but I think it's useful to frame uh, uh, the, what, what will drive tax policy in a potential Biden administration. There are really four things that, that could drive his proposals. We're, we'll talk a little bit about what's in his campaign documents and the Democratic National Committee's platform, but one will be to respond to the COVID crisis, which will be an ongoing issue in January for sure. Two is to address the wealth gap. Uh, three is to raise revenue for other priorities, spending that that they have or want to do on behalf of the American people. And uh, four would be to drive social change. I mean, you can think about things like climate change or, or other pieces and the wealth gap kind of falls into that category. Um, it's important to note, and, and Chris and I were talking about this a little bit before getting on with you today, um, campaign documents are promises and they're, they're always more ambitious than reality. Uh, but the vice president has laid out a plan that would increase uh, revenues by $4 trillion over the next decade if enacted. And that comes almost exclusively uh, from uh, on the individual side, from the quote unquote one percent of earners and and, and wealth holders, uh, and from businesses, whether that be a corporate rate increase, looking at one ninety nine cap a, the pass through deduction. Um, there's lots of discussion in democratic circles around net operating loss and a series of other things. But I think maybe for your audience, the the best place to focus is sort of on the individual rate stuff. Is that uh, is that where you want to go next? Yeah, let's talk about the individual rates and how Biden is defining the top 1%. Well, uh, he defines it as adjusted gross income north of $400,000 for a couple married filing jointly. Um, so depending on your perspective or your marketplace, that might might seem kind of low and certainly will affect a lot of people. Um, one of the big watchwords in today's Democratic Party is, or watch phrases is to is the notion of treating wealth like wages. And this comes, if you remember the stories from the last decade when Warren Buffett's uh, secretary paid a higher effective tax rate than he did, um, that's sort of where this a seed that germinated this notion. And one of the really big impactful uh, proposals 
is to increase the cap gains and dividend regime to the same as the ordinary tax treatment regime, right? Um, and to do that without losing revenue, he additionally has a feature in his proposal to repeal step up in basis because the way um, tax policy is scored, it has behavioral elements. And right now with uh, step up being a feature of the law, the Joint Committee on Taxation says that if you raise the cap gains and dividend rate above 28.5%, you actually lose revenue because people hold assets longer. And so you have to put these two things together or some, uh, some way to solve for what is called the lockout effect of step up. Um, if you wanna increase the top cap gains and, and dividends rate to 39.5 or 43%, depending on how you, how you include the, the um, uh, ACA overage on investment income. That's really interesting. I, I saw the provision getting rid of step up in basis. And just for all of you, in case you're not reading the tax code at night and you're sleeping just fine, step up in basis is that provision under 1014 that says when you pass away, the basis and all of your assets get stepped up to fair market value, which wipes out the capital gains built into all of the assets. So I saw that provision and not having thought about that tax policy piece of it, I thought it was a, a, a fairly clever way to raise some revenue without having to say that you're doing anything to the estate tax exemption. But what you pointed out about the sort of fruit chilling factor of raising the, the capital gains rate and people just hold it until they die, it really kind of brings that home to me. And so I think, thank you. That was, I learned something too. <laughs> then maybe I should sign off right now. I've, I've talked Kristen Bulat something. I, I, I should quit while I'm ahead, take my chips and go home. Um, you know, there's there's a lot, uh, certainly you bring up the estate tax and, and the estate tax regime. It's it's exactly what what ALU Gamma said it was going to be in 2017 when we when Congress under the Republicans made the temporary doubling adjustment. And what we had counseled them then is that the 2013 policy of unified get lifetime giving, indexed rates, five and a half and 11, was a good place to be, right? It, it gave certainty for planning. And this temporary doubling creates all kinds of weird planning uh, functions in the window while it occurs. But uh, in addition, it was going to reopen the can of worms about what are appropriate tax rates, what are appropriate um, exemption rates. And certainly, I think that'll be part of the landscape in this treat wealth like wages construct. And whether it's uh, purely in the estate tax regime or you see reaches toward um, uh, toward a, the wealth tax proposals that were popular during the Democratic primaries or uh, you know Ron Wyden, the senator from Oregon who would, if Democrats take the Senate, uh, lead the Senate Finance Committee has a pretty robust white paper um, that is a very critical concern to our profession because it, um, it calls out constructive receipt as a concept, right? It's got a mark to market feature taxing on an annual basis, the value of holdings, whether they've been realized or not. And as a result of that, his white paper even calls out the inside buildup in a life insurance contract uh, because from a policy perspective, some of his staff fear if they didn't address that somehow, then you'd see lots of flight to that product set um, because of the tax benefits. Um, but of course, that's, uh, you know, that's five alarm fire where, where we're concerned. Well, we are too, because I was just sitting here thinking, well, if they treat wealthy wages, life insurance is the answer to that, along with all of our other problems. But 
Life insurance can solve most, most ills. I, I, I've come to know it is the Swiss army knife of financial products. It is. And then you add a long-term care provider and it solves that last problem. So, you know, that's right. That's you're, right. you're all set. So let's then segue over to the Trump plan. If Biden's plan really seems to center around this notion of treating wealth like wages, which would be a really interesting way to raise a significant amount of revenue. What is the current administration's proposal um, for dealing with the current, the four key issues that we have that we're dealing with and sort of responding to the democratic platform? So as is probably emblematic of the way they approach the world in contrast, uh, President Trump and Vice President Biden, the Trump plan is less detailed. Um, and, uh, but you know, you can, it's got big themes to it, you know, from an administrative perspective, everybody's aware, I think of the executive order trying to, to defer payroll taxes. And he's uh, said on the stump that he wants to end payroll taxes, which with no replacement plan for Medicare or social security. But, um, uh, as an aside, you know, we've got a bunch of products at ALU Gamma about the executive order on payroll deferral that I would encourage your listeners to tune into. I'm sure you do too at NFP because uh, there's a lot of complexity there. But setting that aside, he's got the payroll tax proposal. He's long argued for a payroll tax holiday. He's long toyed with the idea of uh, indexing cap gains and dividends. Um, certainly the key feature uh, it, particularly if he got unified control again of Washington and and Republicans were to retake the House, hold the Senate and reelect and, and the, the country reelect Donald Trump, um, you would see a, a major effort uh, to make those parts of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which almost all came on the individual side of the ledger, permanent, right? Currently, they all expire at the end of 2025. Um, and so there would be a permanence effort there for sure. He is a personal um and committed advocate for repeal of the estate tax um we know in 2017 and even to this day he makes personal phone calls to members of congress about trying to effectuate that policy um and the other big thematic piece uh of his economic policy is to to sort of try to bring home manufacturing uh whether specifically as relates to china or other places um, that's a key feature, and he would seek additional incentives, I imagine, to try to make that happen. Okay, so let's just then kind of focus. We have some of the key differences. Um, you, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that there are four possible outcomes, right? So let's maybe sort of outline those four possible outcomes. This is where your magic eight ball comes in, right? And, and then kind of game through what it might look like um, and, you know, based on the different outcomes, where, where we may end up in terms of tax reform. Sure. So um, the American people will uh, decide 471 um, federal office holders in the November elections, because um, in addition to reading the tax code uh, for fun, I geek out on political numbers. Um, and that may sound overwhelming to you, but the way we think about it at ALU Gamma on your behalf is you can boil that down into four outcomes, as Kristen said. Either you get, and, and those four outcomes are based on who sets the agenda in Washington and how big the appetite 
for reform can be. So the, the biggest appetite for reform and action will come at the polar opposites. If you get a clean democratic sweep, which means you have President Biden, uh, you have uh, Chuck Schumer taking the over as majority leader in the United States Senate, and then likely Speaker Pelosi continuing to control the House. That will open the um, aperture and appetite for big reform. Um, lots of these wealth-like wages proposals, you know, you can see climate change. There's lots of discussion about the filibuster, which we could have a conversation about what that means. But um, that that's sort of the biggest on that side. Contrast it. Okay, wait, uh, before we contrast, if we end up in that Democratic sweep, so in 16, we had a full Republican sweep, and by the end of 17, we had the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. If we end up with a full democratic sweep, how quickly do you, would you think it's realistic? How realistic is it to think we'll get some sort of sweeping tax reform? And, you know, do you think we'll end up with it in the end of 2021, like we did four years ago? Or is it going to sort of leap forward a little? What would your guess be? It depends most on where our economy is after inauguration, between inauguration day, which would be like the third week of January, and um, the 100 days after that, right? If, as, as you may call, recall, if we go back one further, so 2016, full Republican sweep, and then you had a healthcare attempt, and then ultimately tax reform under President Trump. In 2009, you had a full Democratic sweep. And they had to start, we were also in a recession at that time, the Great Recession, and, and they had to start with the stimulus. And so um, raising taxes on business and small business is somewhat anti-stimulative. And so if we're in the throes of a, uh, of a you know, if, if there's a double dip COVID plus the flu and like there's more shutdowns, like if it's an economically darker picture, I don't think they will start out of the gate with tax increases. Um, now the estate tax is a little bit different on that point, particularly from their perspective. Um, but I think then you get sort of a stimulus as, as item one, particularly if we don't get another package this fall, that's almost certain to be their first order of business. Um, but I think by Christmas in 2021, it's likely we will see significant tax policy changes with the democratic sweep. As I started, whether they are for reforms purposes or one of those other purposes is hard to tell at this point. Um, but I think we'll see pretty significant changes um within 2021 and there's there's a lot of precedent for that in terms of how things have worked out uh, in 2009 and 2017. okay great thank you so i think you're going to contrast it with a full republican sweep right that's where you're headed before i interrupted you that's right that's right well before maybe before we get that let me let me loop back as a as a point of personal privilege one other feature of the biden tax plan that is worth your listeners thinking about is, and I know this is in some of the pieces you've authored, Kristen, is the notion of capping benefits. And this is a really um, tricky challenge for us uh, as a profession, as an industry, depending on who we serve, and we want to serve everyone, right? There was recently an article um, in which I was quoted that took one facet of this, where Pre Vice President Biden's proposal uh, suggests that you convert the 401k income tax deduction deferral concept to a tax credit, which would equalize, if you did it, would equalize from a dollar value basis, the benefits of the retirement incentive, 
right? No matter where you were on the income scale, you'd get X amount as a credit, as opposed to the deduction form where we have now, where from a raw numerical basis, um, you know, somebody who makes more money gets more and is in a higher tax bracket gets more benefit from the deferral. And that's from my, to my mind, that is an equal basis because the person in the higher tax bracket pays more in taxes. Um, but they, I mean, one of this, this proposal is to equalize it on raw dollar value rather than on uh, value to the whole. And that concept can be applied in this case to retirement, but can be applied to a whole series of other different policy proposals, all sort of sitting philosophically around that $400,000 AGI that is really problematic for many of our businesses and clients within the profession. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's a major point I didn't want to I want to be sure not to miss for your listeners because it's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it feels like at this point we should mention the salt tax. <laughs> How much <laughs> we all miss that salt tax. <laughs> the, the salt tax deduction for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. The I mean it's it's a major feature in the COVID battle if you can believe it. It's part of Pelosi's request. Um, it, you know, I, I think certainly that pr- plays a feature in an all democratic sweep of reform. It It is emblematic though of the shifting allegiances of political parties and where their constituent bases are. Like you tend to think of for the last 25, 35, 40 years as Republicans being um, representative of business owners and the economic class and investors and everything else. And the populism, which is really coursing on both the Republican and Democratic side, is shifting that a lot. Um, and so you hear Democrats in favor of assault fix and Republicans saying, well, you're just trying to give um, millionaires and billionaires in California uh, an additional tax break. And that's not language you're necessarily accustomed to hearing from Republicans, uh, but it's, it is emblematic of the times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So back to the outcomes. Yes. The other the other side is is full Republican control, and that's where you see the I think the TCGA permanence conversation for sure, and maybe some other pieces. There'll be another conversation about repeal of the state tax, um, and then in the middle, the two other outcomes are some form of divided government, where the White House and different elements of Congress are in different hands, um, and you could see that under President Trump or President Biden, and that that scenario really continues. Um, where the reform or the the major legislative pieces are things that can build broad consensus, like uh, the SECURE Act did last year. I think there's lots of interest in the savings and retirement challenges that are faced by the American people. And there's lots of opportunities for our profession uh, to position ourselves as part of that constructive solution, because that's really what, what you do, right? You provide financial security to your clients. Well, that is retirement and more, right? The holistic perspective. And so we have a role to play in that. And I think no matter what the outcomes are, there'll be an interest in that part of the conversation. Um, and then of course, you know, in divided government, there's lots more focus on the regulatory regime. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're closing out on our time. Um, so I wondered if there's anything else that you, anything you found surprising in the proposals or any sort of last ideas, or um, even if we want to talk a little bit about the stimulus fight, you know, where, where would you like to end up with this? And I, I, and this has been great. And I'm, I anticipate we're going to do a lot more of these because the next 60 days or so, I think will be really interesting and, and we're all going to be excited to follow them and take advantage of your expertise. 
I, um, I'm always honored to join you. Surprising, I think. There, there's a lot of different complex elements here, and um, the there will be lots of appetite for change. I think no matter what comes, and then the fiscal pressure is just going to continue, right? We have a savings and liquidity crisis in this country. It's the third one in 20 years. Um, and it all is born from people not doing enough planning, not working with a financial security professional like you get at MFP uh, and partners to plan for their future and do adequate savings. And this time it's already cost us $2.6 trillion in liquidity injection. And we think it's appropriate to have a conversation on the backside of COVID about uh, investing a little more in savings and retirement incentives um, to play the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure game because these have just gotten more expensive. The 01 uh, liquidity crisis was 9-11 and the dot-com bubble, the 08-09 was the Great Recession. And each time they cost us more and we're bailing it out because we're not adequately saved. We aren't adequately protected on the front side of it. And we're going to be doing a lot more policy thinking and work around how we can position ourselves to help the country solve that issue uh, because we think it's so critical. And I think there's going to be a lot of good discussion uh, with our lawmakers about it. Well, and I think that's a really great sort of end to it and, and an invitation to our listeners to be a part of the conversation. Work with ALU, Gamma, and NFP to help shape that conversation and, and plan for the next future so that, again, we... We have more adequate savings and, and retirement and we don't find ourselves in a similar position. So um, yeah, get involved, make your voice heard, call up ALU Gamma and you know, call your congressman. That's right. And by the next time we do one of these, we won't be ALU Gamma anymore. We're launching our new name uh, at the conclusion of Beacon next week. So uh, stay tuned, more to come around that and the whole new organization and service of your profession is right around the corner. Oh, that's exciting. I can't wait to see the new chapter for you guys. Yeah, it's gonna be lots of fun. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time today, Army. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the latest episode in our new Washington Update 2020 election mini-series. We will keep you informed and up to date on the candidates and their platforms as we get closer to the presidential election. <laughs>